Good morning, everyone. I'm glad you're here today. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd, and uh, yeah, welcome to like the heat and humidity of the summer, right? Even though it's still April. Last day of April, but it's still April, and here we are, very hot and oppressive, and like Hilton Head should be in July. Uh, and uh, I'm glad that you're worshiping with us. Again, my name's Todd. For those of you I don't know, I'm glad that you're here. And uh, today we begin um, this brand new series that we've entitled, The Struggle is Real. Say it with me. The struggle is real. It is, isn't it? The struggle of life is real. Uh, often uh, when I talk to uh, Christians, I, I get the idea that someone along the way has told them uh, that when they accept Jesus as their personal Savior, that everything is just going to be perfect in their life here on earth. And that could be the furthest thing from the truth, am I right? In fact, in many ways, once we become Christ followers, we kind of sign up for another struggle that maybe we haven't faced before, and that's a spiritual struggle. And so today we're going to begin this journey in, in the book and through the book of Ephesians. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book or the letter of Ephesians, and uh, we're going to be there over the course of the next six weeks. We're going to take a chapter a week, and we're going to be taking a fairly detailed look at this book that we have, this, this letter that was written uh, to a group of people in a city uh, by the name of Ephesus as we really try to glean from God's Word. And I believe that God's Holy Spirit used this man named Paul, who we'll talk about in a moment, for the specific reason to give us some tools so that we can journey through the struggles that we face in life. And so we're going to be focused on the book of Ephesians here over the next few weeks. Back in 2004, uh, it was either right before or right after um, my daughter was born, um, I had a friend by the name of Daniel. He was uh, he's a good friend of ours, uh, co-workers on our church staff uh, in Atlanta. We were living in Atlanta at the time, and Daniel called me up one day, I think it was a Saturday, and uh, I answered the phone. Here's how we answered phones. We flipped them open. Anyway, anyway, not anymore. But answered the phone, and uh, he said, hey, Todd, I am looking for someone to train and run in a marathon with me. And I responded by saying, I will help you find someone, Daniel, to train and run in a marathon. And he said, you're not getting my drift, dude. You and I are both out of shape. It is time for us to, like, you know, get out there and run and do something to get into shape. And I said, well, um, why are we picking a marathon to get into shape for? Why don't we do a 5K or why don't we just, like, run around the block? Like, just go in the neighborhood and just run a little bit. And so um, Daniel had, had uh, run in a lot of races uh, up to that point in his life, and um, he knew a little bit about conditioning and training. And uh, so I... Uh, kind of reluctantly joined him in this journey. And um, if you've ever run in a marathon or a half marathon or even a 5K or 10K, if you really are serious about the training, reluctantly doing it does not work. Am I right? <laughs> like you can't reluctantly train for a marathon. Think about that for a moment. But that's what I was doing. And so I joined him for about uh, eight weeks. Was it even that long? Maybe not even eight weeks. And so um, we began to train, and he kind of 
taught me like how to train for, for a marathon. And I, I was with him for, for a little while. And, and then um, I just kind of like gave up and said, I'll run a 5K. You go do the marathon. And Daniel went and ran a marathon. Eventually, um, when we lived in New York City, I did a half marathon, um, which was one of the worst days of my entire life. Um, but it was fun. It was fun, but it was one of the worst days of my entire life. And uh, Daniel, through this whole process, um, taught me a lot about physical training and training for a, a race requires you to embrace and kind of receive pain a little bit. And, and you kind of have to be okay with the fact that like when you go do the long run, which I don't do anymore, um, when you go do the long run, which is like six miles or more or seven miles or more as you get closer and closer to the date of the marathon, um, it requires you to have to rest because, you know, the next day you're so tired because you've done all of these, these long, you know, runs. And so I realized in that moment that um, running isn't my thing. All right. And so um, over the years, I've had little times and spells where like, you know, I would run and it hit me a couple weeks ago. We were at the AT&T store, and I was inquiring about some of the new things that they have that, like, track your GPS when you're running. And I'm in a conversation with a lady there at AT&T, and my wife, Cynthia, um, looks at me, and I'm in the middle of this conversation. And she says, but you don't run. Why are you asking all these questions? And I'm like, I'm just trying to get a new phone. I just walked out with my old phone. But anyway, uh, so I, I don't run that much anymore, and I'm, that's too, too bad. But Daniel taught me that in the process of, of really trying to train for a marathon or train for something that is, is worth anything physically, you, you have to embrace the pain of that thing. And you have to realize that it is going to be a struggle. And I think it would be good for Christians, for Christ followers, people who call ourselves followers of Jesus, to realize that um, it's kind of the same way in training for the ups and downs and the struggle of life, because the struggle of life is real. And, and part of our job as, as Christians and as people is to really struggle through and, and fight through the, the struggles of life and the pain of life. And the problem is, is that we often do it without a plan. We often do it without any instruction. And from a spiritual perspective, we kind of enter this life, this kind of like we, we have this life before Christ and this life after Christ. And sometimes, all too often, we enter the life after Christ really not thinking about the fact that life is a struggle and that we are going to face things that we need the power of God on our side to journey through. And so God's Holy Spirit one day inspired a guy by the name of Paul to, to write this letter to this church, this group of Christians in this little place called Ephesus. And today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to we're going to kind of join in with that journey of what they were going through. And we're going to be taking a look at this book called Ephesians and this place called Ephesus and this man by the name of Paul. And I think what we're going to find is, is there's a lot of tools in this book. One of my favorites in all of the, the New Testament of some really hands-on tools of how you and I can survive the struggle of life 
and how we can really get through the struggle that we face in life. Now, just to, just to kind of give you a little bit of a background or context, because when you're doing a book study, if you take a look at one of the books of the Bible, it's good to have a little bit of background. So just I want to give you just kind of a brief context of where we are in time and who wrote it and that sort of thing. And uh, this is a guy by the name of Paul that's writing in the first century. And he's writing to a group of Christians that lived in a city called Ephesus. Sometimes we read this book, and it's only about six chapters long, so it's not that long. It only takes up a small part of the Bible, and we think, well, it's a small book. It must have been a small place. It's not true at all. Um, and, and Paul wrote this there in the first century, and he, he actually was in prison. But Paul's story in itself is interesting because a lot of you know his story. Some of you may not, that he was um, born into a Jewish family. He had deep Jewish heritage and roots. His family was very well connected politically. But he also, because of where he was born and the kind of the area that he grew up in, he had full Roman citizenship. And so he was like really was able to connect with those who were Jewish and those who were Romans. And the Romans kind of ruled the day. And so this man by the name of Paul had all of these advantages um, he was very well educated. Um, he, he kind of knew what he uh, was talking about. Type A personality, very strong. And so he was kind of picked to be one of the people that would help the Jewish leaders and the Roman leaders kind of silence these people who were following Jesus. And so he was the one that was kind of handpicked to, to do this job. And so as you read the book of Acts, you find, and as you read other historical documents, you'll find that Paul was really one of the ones that signed off on, on killing Christians in the first century. See, when Jesus came around, he turned the, the Jewish world upside down. He turned the Roman world upside down. And, and no one liked these people that were called followers of the way, followers of Jesus. And so Paul's job was to literally put him to death. And he was in his 20s and 30s when he became a leader of, of the Pharisees, the political party that existed. And so he was literally on his way to sign off on silencing more Christians by putting them to their death. He was going to this place called Damascus, and God intervened, and God got a hold of his life. And you can read the story in Acts about Paul and his, his road to Damascus experience where God gets a hold of him, and he gives his whole life up for the cause of Christ. And in a moment, he goes from being the Christian killer to the one who wrote most of the New Testament. But in that moment, he, he wanted, as a type A often does, he wanted to do something for God. And so he began to minister, and it kind of failed right out of the gates. And so he had to go into hiding for about 10 years. And so when we read the New Testament, when we read about the journeys of Paul, and he went on three missionary journeys, he was put in prison in Rome two different times. When we read about it, that took place as he was getting older in his life. In fact, he was probably about my age when he went on his first missionary journey. And that was in a day and age where you didn't get on orbits and, and order, you know, tickets for a plane and have a nice hotel that you could go to and get a nice rental car. This was the first century. And getting from point A to point B was not easy. And he was probably in his mid-40s and into his 60s. And this was a guy who was getting older in his life. I, I can't even fly on an airplane, and, and I, I have to, like, stand up and, like, start stretching after a little while. And, like, Paul did this, like, from this point in his life on. 
He was going into to areas that were difficult to traverse and try to, to navigate. And, and there were times that they had to get on ships and boats that you and I wouldn't even set foot on. And so this man by the name of Paul was captured by God. And he went to this place called Ephesus in his second missionary journey. And he was um, so his heart connected with the people so much. And he realized that this was such a strategic city that on his third missionary journey, he went back and he ended up staying for a few years in this place called Ephesus. And Paul really got to know these people in this place called Ephesus, and he really bonded with them and really kind of understood what they were going through. And so he finds himself about 15 years, 10 to 15 years after that, in a Roman prison under house arrest there in Rome where he can actually, like, write letters to different people in different churches, and he could, they allowed him, because of his Roman citizenship, to receive um, people who would deliver those letters. And so that's how we have what we have today in the form of God's word, his inspired word is, is these letters, many of these letters or epistles as they're often called, like at the top of your Bible, it might say epistle, that means letter or books. And so this one was delivered by a guy named Tychius. Don't you love that name? Isn't that awesome? That's a good name for a son, right? So this guy delivered this letter to the Christians in Ephesus. But I want you to know a little bit about this book and this letter that we're going to be looking at. This is a letter of encouragement. It's written to help strengthen the Christians in Ephesus. It's broken up into two sections and six different chapters. And we're going to be looking at it from those kind of two sections standpoint. Ephesians 1 through 3 really has to do about uh, really with a unity of of what we believe and and unity in, in belief. It has to do with what we know or what's called doctrine or theology. It has to do with the facts of our faith. And Paul wanted everybody that he ministered to to kind of be on the same page. And so chapters 1 through 3 of Ephesians deals with what we know to be true about God and his word and what he was doing through the redemption of mankind with his son Jesus. And so that's what this, these first three chapters of Ephesians is all about. It has to do with what we know. Now, the second half of it, we'll be here in a few weeks, has to do with unity in mission, what we do or our practice. And so we see Paul writing both of these things really in the first three chapters, describing who we are in Christ. The second three chapters is really what we do uh, because of that. And so the context is, is it was written about 60 AD from a Roman prison. It was written to Christians in Ephesus, but it was also written to Christians everywhere. And the purpose was to strengthen the church or strengthen the Christ follower through unifying beliefs and practices. Now, Ephesus was not um, a small city. In fact, in its day, um, up until about the 4th century, uh, so the 1st through 4th century, it was one of the most influential, largest cities in the known world at that time. In fact, some of you probably have studied about Alexandria and, of course, Rome and Corinth and Athens. Ephesus would have been listed on that same group of cities. It was the center of travel. It was situated right on the Aegean Sea where people would have come into port and they would have traveled from the east to west through Ephesus. It was the cultural, religious, commerce center of the world in that day and age. So not only did Paul have a heart connection with the people that lived there, but he he understood that this was a, a great place of influence in the known world of that time. 
And so that's the context, that's the culture, and, and there's so much more, but that's just a brief understanding of the time and the day and the, the age that, that Paul writes this letter. Now, let's take a look at this letter that he writes to these people who he has a very close relationship with there in Ephesus, and I believe there's so much that we can learn in 2017 as Christ followers as well. Here's what Paul says. He says, Paul names himself, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in, uh, and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you, he says, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known the mystery to us, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11 says this, in him, we have an obtained an inheritance. That's the second time that word has been used, inheritance, so it must be important. In him, we have uh, uh, in, obtained an inheritance, having been predestined. That's the second time that word ha has been mentioned. And some of you are like, boy, I hope he doesn't go down that road, but I will in a minute. Don't worry. All right, and it'll be painless, I promise, okay? So, in, uh, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of, say those next two words with me, his glory. That's a very important concept. We're going to come back to that in a moment. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, and so that ends the first two sections of Ephesians chapter 1, and then he goes on in 15, and, and we come to the part that we're going to focus on a little more closely today for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. By the way, when you see that word saints, it means Christians. It doesn't mean saints the way that we tend to think of saints, okay? So it's just talking about Christians. I do not cease giving thanks to you remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the work of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of, in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. 
And he closes with these two verses. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now, my goodness, that's a lot of words. Am I right? And he's describing here um, facts about our faith. He's describing and he's instructing us on what we believe so that we are all on the same page. Now, a few months back, we, we were in a series um, called Who Do You Think You Are? And we talked, we talked about identity in Christ. And so we're not going to spend a lot of time in verses 3 through, 15, through 14. We're going to spend most of our time in, in verses 15 through 23 here. But there's a couple things that I want to point out to you when he begins to list those things in verses um, 3 through 14. Um, because what he does, what Paul essentially does, is he lists or he gives a description of the benefits that we receive as adopted children from God once we put our faith in him. And so here's, here's what he lists, just, just briefly. He, he lists uh, several things that we are chosen that, that we are loved, that we are predestined, that we're adopted, that we're redeemed, forgiven, included in his will. He talks about that we're marked and that we're sealed. And each of those, like, were given by um, a different person of the, the God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, the Father is one that chooses us, loves us, predestined us. He adopted us. Um, Jesus, his son, is the one who redeemed and forgave us, and the Holy Spirit includes us and marked us and sealed us. And so those are the benefits. Now, I'm not trying to skip over that, but I want you to know this. If you're here today, listen, if you're here today and, and you call yourself a Christ follower, you, you came to a place where you trusted and you believed and you received him as your Savior, this is your inheritance spiritually. This is your inheritance spiritually. And in describing our benefits as Christ followers, we focus sometimes so much on those specific things. But in describing all of those benefits, what Paul does is he reveals not a lot about us. He reveals so much about the nature of who God is. And see, that's the problem that most people face when they read this. They, they read and they, they hear this word election and they hear the word predestined twice. And we kind of go down this you know, rabbit trail of this whole idea of, you know, does God give us full will or, or, or is he, you know, is, is it his, did he predestine us? Is it his sovereignty or our free will? And some of you have had those discussions, and, you know, that's a good discussion to have. The church has been having that discussion for Every century that the church has existed, and I'm in seminary, and I can tell you we still have it in those environments, all right? And that is the way that it is. But I will tell you, you know what it means when it says, mentions predestined and election? It means that God knew that you would come to faith in him. If you're here today and you have come to faith in Jesus, he knew about it. He knew from the beginning of time. You see, the, the whole idea of predestination and election is all about God. It's not about us. It's not about who was chosen. It's about who comes to faith in Jesus and the fact that God knew. Listen, God knew from the beginning of time everything about your life because he is the one who is sovereign, which is a word that means that he's in control. 
And in fact, that's part of the nature of God that we learn from Paul here is that he's sovereign. But we also see in the midst of this sovereignty, this idea that God is in control, that he is a loving God and he is a kind God. Am I right? We see very clearly that he's a loving God and he's a kind God. And so that's what we find in in those first few verses. But then we kind of turn the page and we look at verses uh, 15 through 23. And I think we can learn so much uh, from what Paul says here, not just about the nature of God. But in verses 15 through 23, we see Paul praying one of three prayers that he prays in this book, this letter that was written to the church in Ephesus. I believe it was written for us today as well. And in this prayer, Paul asks God for three things that I believe is of vital importance for us in the struggle of life. First and foremost, Paul asks God that we would have, that he would give us wisdom and understanding in knowing Jesus personally. He gives us wisdom. He's asking for God to give us wisdom and understanding in knowing Jesus personally. And we see that played out really in in verse uh, 17 when he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that's understanding, in the knowledge of him. But here's what Paul is talking about. Because when I say knowledge, most of you think about intellectual knowledge, which is important. It's vital. What also is vital is that the information that we read about from Jesus begin to filter the 12 inches from our head to our heart. That's really what Paul's talking about. And that's indicated in the very next verse where Paul not only asked for wisdom and understanding and knowing Jesus personally, but clarity and understanding God's purpose for our lives. Because in verse 18, he says this, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, those things that he's already listed. And so Paul uses this great word picture that we would have our eyes, the eyes of our, what does he say? The eyes of our what? Heart, the enlightened. How many of you have worn in your life prescription lenses of some sort? Raise your hand. All right, most of us. And then we get to the age of 40 and we have to wear readers, all right? So I get it, that's the way it is. But do you remember the very first time, whether you were a child or an adult, when you put glasses on for the very first time? Do you remember that moment? Do you remember that moment? I do. I was in seventh grade. I had just started school, and my teacher called my parents, and they said, "Um, Todd, it's obvious he can't read the chalkboard. Chalkboard, yes, not whiteboard back then. Chalkboard. But anyway, and so my parents went out, and I got glasses. And I remember the moment of putting the glasses on, and all of a sudden, Everything and everything that I had seen that had been fuzzy all my life, all of a sudden, do you remember that? Became clear. And so Paul's prayer to God for the church in Ephesus, for the Christians in, in Ephesus, and for us, is that the eyes of our heart, listen, Christ follower, I want you to capture this, that the eyes of our heart would be opened, enlightened made clear. And so his desire and God's desire is that we would allow what we know about God, the nature of God, what we know about Jesus, what we know about the benefits that we receive as Christ followers, that we, that, that would sink in from what we know 
to who we are as people, that it would begin to penetrate our heart and that it would really change us. And then the last thing that he asks for is that we would have clarity in understanding God's purpose for our lives. Or I'm sorry, uh, that, he, that uh, we would grasp the power of God that is at our disposal. Because you see in those first verses from, from uh, verse 3 to 15, he lists all these, or 14, he lists all these different things. But we often walk through life without the power of God, without accessing the power of God. It is there, it is available for us to use to deal with the struggle that life is and the struggles that life brings. But very rarely do we actually use the power of God in our lives help us through that struggle that is oh so real. I want to let you know something today. This is, this is the bottom line. This is the message for all of us. What Paul is saying here is that God through Jesus, God through the work of redemption, has made himself known to humanity. He's made himself known to us. And what that does is that allows us now to get to know him. And Paul, you see this passion in that prayer that he prays for these Ephesians. Is that we would take advantage of the fact that God revealed everything about him to humanity. That that we as Christ followers would take full advantage of that fact, and that we would get to know Jesus. Because sometimes what we do is we we go through life and we, we want the power of God on our side, but the key to accessing the power of God is to get to know Jesus. The best way to get to know Jesus is to spend time with him. The best way to get to know anyone is to spend time with that person, am I right? The best way to get to know anything is to spend time in that thing. And also often we in our, our journey with God and we, with the struggle of life, we, we kind of go through it and time takes over. We run out of time. Our kids take our time. Our job takes our time. Our school takes our time. Life takes and takes and takes from us. And we end up frustrated with the struggle that is so real in life, the spiritual struggle that's real in life, and we have not spent any time with the one who saved us. So my challenge to you today, if you're here today and you're a Christ follower and you've been a Christ follower for decades or maybe a, a, a few months or years or, or maybe in the last week or maybe you were here, you were one of the 30 that... Um, believed and received Jesus as your Savior um, on Easter. My prayer for all of us, and I'm not immune to this at all, none of us are, is that we would carve out time every day for Jesus, that we would focus on prayer, on just talking to him, just talking to him, that we would focus on his word, because when we do that, that's when the knowledge of him here that Paul talked about in those first few verses begins to penetrate who we are as people. When that happens, when we begin to spend time with our Savior, oh man, it's amazing what God can do 
when we're faced with the struggle of this life. Father God, I thank you so much that you've given us so many blessings. You've given us so much as believers. And God, I just pray that you would allow us in our hearts to become passionate towards you. God, I pray for anyone who's in here and they may have been a Christ follower for a long time and um, right now, spiritually, um, their heart is a, a, it's a little bit like stone right now. God, your word says that you can take that heart of stone and you can give them, you can give us a heart of flesh. And God, I pray that you would begin to do that right now. I pray that you would be with those who are gathered in, in the sound of my voice, God, who um, may have just been away from you for a while. They've allowed time and energy and the schedule and, oh, man, the problems, the challenges, the ups and downs of life to just crowd you out. And God, if we were really honest, if we were really, really honest, as much as we know you in our intellect, God, we've just really haven't been serious about knowing you in our hearts. We've begun to edge you out. I just want to take a moment right now and just allow the Spirit of God to speak to you. Have you been far from, from Him for a while? Is it time for you to begin to carve out once again some time spending with him, with Jesus, with your heavenly father. The struggle is real. And the key to accessing the power of God to be able to get through those struggles is simply spending time in his word, time talking to him. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would convict us, that you would change our hearts. God, that you would allow us to begin to figure you into our daily lives. That we would realize when we ignore spending time with you, God, that we're ignoring spending time with the one who died for our sins. God, I've been convicted about that myself. God, I pray that you would just begin to change our hearts. God, that we would be Christ followers who are, have a unified mission or a unified uh, in our beliefs that we know what we know, that we know what we believe, and that we walk in that power and in that strength. I just want to pray for those who are here today and you came into this room and um, you've never really thought about trusting Jesus as your Savior becoming one of his adopted children, um, I want to give you the opportunity to say yes to Jesus and to receive him as your Savior. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus rose again from the dead, you will be saved. So if you're here today and you want to accept the grace of God, what he did on the cross, if you want to accept his redemption, if you want to take your first step into being a son or daughter of him, being adopted by him and having all of those advantages, all those benefits we just talked about, um, don't be scared to do that right now. I'll, I'll pray a prayer out loud and I want to invite you to just pray in your heart right now. It's a prayer that goes like this, God. Thank you 
so much for sending Jesus to die on the cross and to rise again three days later for my sins and to give me eternal life. And right now, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit that my sin keeps me from you and I receive you as my Savior. Help me now to live for you. If you prayed that prayer, I'm just going to ask you to look up at me today, if you would. Anyone else? So those of you who are looking up, with every head bowed and every eye closed, except those of you guys who are looking up at me, I just want to talk to you guys for just a moment, so a few of you. I want to encourage you to fill out that card so that we can follow up with you, so that we can um, help you in this new spiritual journey. You now have been adopted by the Father. It's a new day for you. God, thank you for those who prayed that prayer. God, if they meant it in their hearts, God, I thank you for that. And I pray that you would allow us to realize all that we are and all that you are as your children. May we walk in that power. In your name we pray. Amen.